Okay, we're going to have our first message for today, brought to us by Mr. Ken Barton, and it is entitled, It Sure Is Dark Out Here. I'm really not trying to become known for my itchy titles, but sometimes they just come to you. That's what Gus. Glenda was somewhat concerned about this title. <clears throat> so that's what I got. A while back, I shared with you all about a friend of my, how a friend of mine asked me why the difference between Passover and Easter. This was when I was working at Avis, and we were on the night shift, and so we would have time to discuss things, and he and the other fellow in the van with us, both lifelong Catholics. So they were kind of interested in that. <clears throat> and as I said, God will prepare us for when this is, when we're going to have to answer something. I thought this was an idea that I had all by myself to kind of look this up short while later I get this question. So I did tell my friend uh, that one thing they should always look for and realize is that Passover always begins on the full moon. They'd never realize that. I pointed out to him that God is not going to send his chosen people across the wilderness in the middle of the night without a light. <clears throat> and that they needed to always consider that. Every time Easter shows up, well, Passover shows up, there's going to be a full moon. I don't think it's ever happened that there's a full moon on Easter, maybe. So, God does always watch out for his people, doesn't he? And I got to thinking about this recently. Now, I know, okay, there weren't any Catholics in Egypt at, at this time, all right? Uh, but what would the Catholics have said had they been ordered, if they were there, right? And Pharaoh orders them out in the middle of the night on Easter. Sure is dark out here. It's the only thing that came to my mind of what they might say. <clears throat> Quick answer, I was thinking, is that there's different calendars that are being used. I found out there's more to it. Passover is a God-ordained celebration that is to be kept always. Originally, Passover was instituted to celebrate the miracle that God used to free the new nation of Israel from Egyptian bondage. Exodus 12, 2, this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Pretty clear way of stating he was officially marking the beginning of a new timeline, isn't it? <clears throat> the date for the launch was set for sunset on the night of the 14th of Abib. That was the 
lot. They didn't actually head out right at sunset. That was a little later. Exodus 12, 12. <clears throat> and through 17. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike the firstborn, all the firstborn, in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. And on the same day, God institutes the celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, doesn't he? Seven days, picking up at 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. One of the obvious reasons for that was because they were now fleeing Egypt traveling across the wilderness, and they wouldn't be able to make risen bread, would they? So this is how they started their journey. Minted by God as a new nation and a peculiar people, chosen by him, God, I'm thinking, knew it would be good to use this time to begin teaching his people how to live, how to serve them. Because they'd been slaves, they didn't have to worry about anything like that. They didn't know how to do anything. I found an article on the internet at Life and Hope and Truth Life I'm sorry, lifehopeandtruth.com titled Five Major Differences Between Passover and Easter. It was written eight days ago by a gentleman named Isaac Khalil on March seventeenth, twenty twenty three. In it, he points out that this first Passover was a memorial of Jesus' death that would occur exactly fifteen hundred years in the future. On that day, when he and his disciples observed the Passover, Jesus instituted the unleavened bread and wine as the symbols representing his sinless body and blood that would be sacrificed. As we celebrate Passover, we, ha we must continue to realize that even though that price has been paid okay, by Jesus' crucifixion, our journey is not yet over. Christ has not yet returned, and we have not yet been resurrected and converted, have we? That, I believe, is because we're still working on that next part, the unleavened bread part. You see, we still need to be working on that. Looking for and cleansing ourselves of all unrighteousness that we are dealing with. I also found help on this in an article by Cecil Moranville. It's titled, Festival calendar. Which calendar should we use? 
all studying major differences between Passover and Easter. It all kind of fell together also on lifehopeandtruth.com. It is, in my opinion, an excellent treatise about the different calendars that we have to choose from. There's the Julian calendar, the Gregorian calendar, that's what we're using in the world today, the Muslim calendar and the Hebrew calendar. Let me say I am not saying we should change to the Hebrew calendar, but it is the calendar to look at if you want to keep up with God's festival, because that's why it was invented. In his article, Mr. Moranville points out several interesting things about the different calendars <coughs> that have been used. They, st they started with the Julian calendar, okay, established by Julius Caesar in 45 BC. Then, in 1582, Pope Gregory XIII ordained, ordered a new calendar to fix Julius's errors. Because by the time England adopted that calendar, it was 12 days behind. And uh, Julius's was 12 days behind it in the seasons or the seasons. Interesting to note, many Orthodox churches still use the Julian calendar, and it's now 13 days behind. Julian and Gregorian calendars are purely social uh, solar calendars, while the Muslim calendar is purely a lunar calendar, which is why Ramadan doesn't match up with any fixed month of the Gregorian calendar. But hey, neither purely solar nor purely lunar calendars are really good and good be good at keeping God-ordained dates accurately. <clears throat> According to his article, to deal with these approximately 6,000 years of human history, most of us have a Julian calendar that covers about 2,067 years, and remember, it's 13 days or so behind, getting worse, or a Gregorian calendar that covers a whole 444 years. So we can be pretty certain that none of these calendars were around when God told Moses to start keeping track of the month. And this is while they were still in Egyptian bondage. And he said in Exodus 12, 2 and 3, This month shall your beginning of month be your beginning of month. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And off to the races they went, because right away God started filling in the dates. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, Every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And there's, there's more instruction. That, uh, there are also instructions in Deuteronomy 16, 1 and 2 is what I'm going to cover right now. Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Therefore, you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flack flock and herd in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. So, since the other calendars haven't worked, how did they do with the Hebrew calendar? I bet you're kind of wondering about that. Turns out they've been doing an excellent job of keeping track of things. Theirs is a solar lunar calendar that can keep track of lots of things. By the way, the Hebrew word for month is the word for the new moon. Some of the festivals are tied into the seasons, 
as well as the date. Passover, Feast of Unleavened, Pentecost are all date-specific. Easter is always starts on the 14th of April. <clears throat> Every year. Okay? <clears throat> uh, so they, they've got to be held on that right day. Plus, there are some that are season-specific. That means their calendar needs to keep up with both movements of the sun and cycles of the moon. Ready to be impressed? According to Mr. Marinville's article, a gentleman named Avraham Yaakov Finkel wrote this in the expense, in the essence of the holy days, insight from the Jewish sages. It's published in 1993. This is page 141. The calculation of the calendar was transmitted to Moses, I'm sorry, was transmitted to the sages in an unbroken chain going back to Moses. The sages were the teachers of the Mishnah, called the Tanayim. If I'm getting these wrong, sorry. That's this California slash Oki boys can come up with. <clears throat> and they lived in Israel until 220 CE, which is common era. Hillel, the elder, was one of them, one of those sages. According to the ancient calculation, the exact time between one new moon and the next is 29 days, 12 hours, and 793 halakim. A is a part of an hour. According to their deal, their hour is divided into 1,080 parts. In other words, one lunar month has 29.53059 days. Of course, Mr. Finkel writes, NASA has at its disposal the most advanced and sophisticated telescopes and computers. Nevertheless, the difference between NASA's figures and that used by Hillel II, he's a Jewish patriarch from around 320 to 385 CE, and he's the son of Hillel the Elder who developed the calculated Hebrew calendar, which originated more than 3,000 years ago. Now, here's the difference between NASA's findings and the Hebrews' findings. It's 0. .000002, or two millionths of a day, calculated for the period of one month. Okay, so there's a difference of two millionths of a day covering a 3,000-year span between NASA's scientific figuring and the rabbis. Okay, so here are some things I found out. According to Mr. Khalil's article, there are five major differences between the biblical Passover that occurred in Exodus 12, which freed the Israelites from Egyptian slavery, launched them as a nation and pointed toward Christ's crucifixion 1,500 years later as a memorial of Jesus' death and Easter. Okay, let's start with the symbols of Passover, which are grounded in Scripture and <clears throat> deep have 
deep spiritual meaning that we gain from God's word. Okay, let's... The sacrifice of yearling sheep and goats by the Israelites, which protected them from the death angel and brought them out of Egyptian bondage. And then 1,500 years later is the death of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as the complete sacrifice for man's sin. Unleavened bread. Sinless and broken body, right? Wine. Jesus' blood poured out for us. Foot washing. Jesus' humility and serving attitude that we are to emulate. Easter's primary symbols? Pretty much non-existent. First off, there's nothing, okay, in God's word about it. The closest would be in Acts 12.4 in the 1611 King James Version where it's misinterpreted from Hoska. That's Greek 39.57 if y'all want to look it up. That's found 29 times in the New Testament and interpreted as Passover 28 times and as Easter once. Not sure what was going on there in Nicaea, but I am certain that Pascha means Passover. I also cannot understand how something that is supposed to be a memorial of Jesus' resurrection can be accomplished by using eggs and bunnies. They're grounded in ancient pagan practices and goddesses because, again, there ain't nothing about it in the scriptures. However, I do find these two warnings from Christ about tradition versus God's words. Matthew 15, 3, he answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress and command the commandment of God because of your tradition? In March, or Mark 7, 13, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Jesus wasn't real happy with it. Another difference is that Passover is observed on a fixed day on God's calendar, 14th of Abib, whereas Easter is a day that moves. I guess it's always going to be on Sunday, but it wanders all over the place. So why would they do that? This was real interesting as an eye-opener. It was done by the Catholic Church to persecute anyone who followed Jewish laws. Of course, those would be laws that were given by God himself, wouldn't they? doesn't make sense that they... But anyway, according to calculating the Easter date at timeanddate.com, the Passover was so despised by the Catholic Church that, quote, in 325 CE, the Council of Nicaea established that Easter would be held on the first Sunday after the first full moon occurring on or near the vernal equinox. From that point forward, the Easter date depended on the ecclesiastical approximation of March 21st for the vernal equinox, end quote. Catch that? They so hated the idea of following God's command about Passover that they, they worded their ruling in a way that made certain they would never do that. Plus, they make up two calendars to use, Gregorian and the Julian, and ignore 
the Hebrew calendar. I'm kind of surprised they managed to succeed as much as they have. <clears throat> Passover celebrates two things. Protecting the Israelites from the death angel that passed over every house that had the blood of a properly sacrificed lamb on the outside doorpost. And that, that spared them from the horrible judgment of God that all the rest of them were subjected to. People and animals. And the freeing of the Egyptians, of the uh, Israelis from Egyptian bondage. That was what caused Pharaoh to release Israel, the Israelis from their abject slavery. Then, after leaving Egypt and traveling toward God's promised land, God started trying to teach them, beginning with unleavened bread and God's weekly Sabbath, how to obey the only true God in order to thrive and grow closer to him. Also, it celebrates the crucifixion, as I said, of Jesus Christ that paid the penalty for our sins. Both Israelites and Christians today are still traveling on God's promises. But there's a difference between our journey and that of the ancient Israelites. All they had to do, all they had to go by was the law. That was it. And all the law could do was point out the sin and condemn them. Best that could be done was to have their sins rolled back every year with animal sacrifices in expectation of the time that those sins would be paid for. After Jesus paid that price through his perfect life, crucifixion, and resurrection, those who believe in Jesus are baptized according to God's word and receive the Holy Spirit of God as his marker in us. We are his. Those committed sins are forgiven, never to be brought up again. But we haven't arrived yet. We still need to walk in God's word, keeping our focus on him and growing closer to him while looking forward to his return and our resurrection and conversion to spirit beings. Until then, it is still possible for us to sin again. If that happens, by confessing our sin and turning back to turning to living according to God's word, we will be forgiven. The goal is to continue to live and grow closer to God according to his word. Jesus has paid the price, but our race is not over yet. 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27 Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we are an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I should myself become disqualified. We must focus on believing Jesus. In John 6, John tells the, about the people who sought out Jesus because of the free food that he'd fed them with. The way he words it, I can hear in my mind the way they try to make it sound as if they just accidentally stumbled on him. <clears throat> Starting in 25 to 
through 29. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has sent his seal on him, set his seal on him. Then they said to him, Well, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? It's real hard. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you that ready? You believe in him whom he sent. I think we've all heard of the biggest little word in existence, that two-letter word, if. It's usually paired with the word then. Here's why I bring that word up, because according to how I understand these two verses, if we don't believe in Jesus, then we will not be able to work the works of God. That's the key. We must believe Jesus, because he is the source, the way, the truth, and the life. John one, two, and John chapter 1, verses 1, 2, 3. In the beginning was the Word. <clears throat> and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I know that many have figured this out a good while ago, but there are still many more who haven't. Share this with them. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. There are few who enter it. The better we are at detecting the world's falsehoods, the better we can be at finding that narrow gate and that difficult way while helping others spot and avoid those same pitfalls of sin. Always remember this, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking he may destroy, devour, whom, races, whom resist steadfast, steadfast in the faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Remember that Jesus says about those who do not follow him in John 8, 44, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is the a liar and the father of it. Realize this, Jesus is stating absolute fact. Satan is the being who invented lying. He first lied to the other angels that he led astray in order to get them to follow him in rebellion against God. I think that up until that point, lies had never been heard before. And when he lied to Adam and Eve, because Adam was right there too, that was the first time on the newly restored earth that, that a lie had been told. 
Another thing to consider, an article that I read on, in Christianity.com titled, Who is the Father of Lies? pointed out that Jesus rightly calls Satan a murderer because through his lies he brought our death and destruction of the earth. This earth. Satan's goal is still the same, to defeat God by destroying his work. But I believe God. I've read the book. I know who wins. Let's determine in our hearts to spot these lies and be certain in our hearts and our explanations as to why they are wrong. Then let's share God's truth with these people who haven't yet learned them. Who knows? They may listen. The way to do that is to use God's words. That's why they're given to us.